What is up, guys? It is the Blue Bloods here coming at y'all with another episode in our SEC in 30 days. We are joined by Georgia Bulldogs football insider for Dogs 247 Sports. Palmer Toms is joining us today, and I just want to say I appreciate you taking some time to join the show, man. Yeah, Zach, happy to be on and, and happy. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely, man. So we got to start with last season before we get into all the news that we've had this year. Bulldogs finished 8-2, and two, a big bowl win over Cincinnati and Atlanta to end the season off. There were a lot of obstacles, QB battles, injuries. The Bulldogs overcame all that to have a good year. But for you, did this season meet, exceed, or fall short of your preseason expectations for the Bulldogs? You know, I think when you look back at last season, I I think it's hard to say that they exceeded expectations. Uh, That I would definitely rule that out. Um, They maybe met it, but I think it's they probably fell short because I think when you were looking at them preseason, and it depends when you were looking at them preseason, because is is it pre Jamie Newman opt out or post Jamie Newman opt out? Because I think you know when you had him committed. And you expected, hey, we've got this guy who is a dynamic quarterback. You know, all offseason we spent, you know, time watching Wake Forest film and thinking about different ways that, you know, Georgia's new offensive coordinator, Todd Munkin, could use him and these weapons and, and you know, his connection with Sage Surratt, the, the Wake Forest wide receiver. Well, you know, it, you put him around more talented guys than that and, and you know, you add in running backs and, and offensive line. It was going to be an exciting time for Georgia uh, with Jamie Newman at the helm. And so I think expectations were very high. I think, you know, you look at what their schedule was, um, you know, I think regardless of whether it was the pre-COVID schedule or post-COVID schedule, Alabama and Florida were going to be the two games. Obviously the Crimson Tide going to Tuscaloosa early on in that season was always going to be a challenge whether or not you had Jamie Newman, um, regardless of who you had. And then Florida was kind of the talk of the town in terms of, you know, hey, this is their year. They've got a returning quarterback in Kyle you know, Trask. They've got a dynamic weapon in Kyle Pitts and, and several offensive guys around him. You know, they were bringing in transfers. And, and so there was a lot of excitement around that Florida program at the same time. And it was thought, you know, hey, this is the year that Dan Mullen could challenge Kirby Smart for the SEC East. And, and ultimately that's what ended up happening. So I think – you know, when you look at those two games, those were two, Georgia's two losable games on the schedule, and ultimately they did lose those. And it was because of you know the the downfall that they had at the quarterback position, um, <clears throat> you know, shortcomings there. I, I don't know that you would have had those if you had Jamie Newman, but you know, ultimately at hindsight is twenty twenty vision, and uh, you know, it, it, I, I think looking back on last season, Georgia was a much better team, a very improved team. Once you've made uh, JT Daniels the starting quarterback those last four games, but I don't know, you know, it, it, we will never know how healthy he was, uh, you know, leading up to, you know, that point. We will never know what Jamie Newman would have been able to do. Um, so I, th- I think, you know, COVID obviously caused everything to be weird, and you write last season off for Georgia is just a weird experience uh, all around. Right. And I mean, you kind of brought that up. We'll never know the whole JT Daniels story, but this is a lot of questions that we had on this podcast. I know a lot of non-Georgia fans had, especially after the whole Justin Fields transferring after not being able to start. Everyone's like, Kirby Smart can't pick the right quarterback. But then 
Dewan Mathis comes out and struggles early. Stetson Bennett has a big Auburn game, but then struggles down the stretch. And, and JT Daniels never seemed to find the field early. Was the injury the main reason that Mathis and Bennett got first, I guess, dibs on the QB1 position? And, I mean, is there any other storylines about why Daniels didn't see the field earlier than four games left in the season? Yeah, I would say it was the injury. Um, you know, you look back at, at preseason practice, Dwan Mathis was was balling out. He he was given, you know, Jamie Newman and, and JT Daniels a run for their money. Um, and obviously Daniels being limited with, you know, being less than a year removed from his knee injury. I think it would have been a question to be able to put him out there, you know, week one. Um, and, and also, you know, him not being around this, this offensive system for as long as those other guys have been around. Um I think Dwan Mathis, you know, once once Jamie Newman opted out, Dwan Mathis seemed like the guy who, you know, had, had put up, you know, good performances in uh, fall practice and, you know, that he was the next guy up. Uh, but, you know, obviously he really struggled against Arkansas in that first half. And, and so, you know, at that point you're looking at, okay, do we go to Stetson Bennett, who's been around the program for quite a long time, uh, you know, had a backup experience to Jake Fromm, you know, knew Kirby Smart was comfortable with him. And that was the biggest factor that you end up going with him over JT Daniels, who, again, less than a year removed from a knee injury uh, and, and full reconstruction, and, you know, in his, uh, you know, and uh, I think you were just, you were a little bit concerned about what that injury situation was going to be like, or, you know, you got to either Daniels or Carson Beck, who actually didn't make the trip to Arkansas, so he wouldn't have been an option, but he was a true freshman, and I don't think, you know, that's that's not an ideal situation. Obviously, last time Georgia had to turn to a true freshman after an injury, it, it worked out pretty well for them, but, um, you know, I think that you had better options than, than Carson Beck and, and a banged up J.T. Daniels, so I think it probably was the injury. I don't think, you know, we will ever hear Kirby Smart admit, um, you know, the, the full truth there, whether it was injury. If, if it was injury, that's that's what he's going to keep having everyone believe. But if it wasn't, uh, he, he, he will never admit to that. And so, you know, I, I'm, I'm here to believe that it, it, that it was injury. Uh, and also, you know, once Stetson Bennett got in there, like you said, he had that great performance against uh, Auburn. Led a comeback against Tennessee and, and didn't play that poorly uh, against Alabama. So he had the Bulldogs up in the first half there. Uh, I think the first time that you really saw, you know, a little bit of what Stetson Bennett's problems were was in that second half of the Alabama game where it felt like passes were getting tipped left and right. You know, inter- he was trying to do too much and, and ultimately made some forced some throws that caused interceptions. Georgia goes on to lose that game. Next week they tra- travel to Kentucky, uh, and, and, you know, it was a low-scoring game. Georgia couldn't get much going with, in the passing game, so there were, there were some problems there. But, you know, they were able to win that one 14-0. Uh, it, it was ugly, but it was, you know, again, it was a game where Georgia, both teams were running the ball, so it felt like it was done in an hour and a half, two hours. Uh, Stetson Bennett get, gets a score on the ground, and then, you know, after a bye, you go down to Jacksonville and you play Florida. He had Georgia up 14 nothing. Uh, you know, and he, he was playing really well. Had threw a great touchdown pass to uh, Marcus uh, Rosemey Jack Saint and then gets hurt on that play, ultimately wasn't able to come back at full strength. And so, you know, at that point, 
you come out of that game and and you're left with okay, what do we do here? Well, they were supposed to they were supposed to play go to Missouri the week after that, uh, and, and it looked like Daniels was going to be the starter there. Um, you know, with with Bennett still banged up and, and not full strength, you were either looking at Dwan Mathis or JT Daniels. Uh, you know, with the with the struggles that Mathis had early in the season, the struggles that he had against Florida in that second half, I, I felt like Daniels was the only option there. And you know, ultimately, that's who Kirby Smart would have gone with there. They, you know, that game ends up getting postponed due to COVID. Um, just another weird thing about last season. So Georgia ended up having two weeks to have Daniels prepare for his uh, debut against Mississippi State, where he came out in uh, full force. Yeah, I mean, I think the expectations for Daniels this year are really high. I have him top three in terms of returning quarterbacks this year. And, I mean, you want to, I want to move more to, like, the transfer portal. Georgia has been the biggest winner on the transfer portal, and I think the history of the transfer portal, I mean, to land back-to-back five stars and um, Eric Gilbert and De'Aaron Kendrick within, I think it was 35 minutes. Um, they like landed back to back, and then you also get Brandon Turnage and Tyke Smith to help that secondary. How has Georgia found so much success in the portal, and how important are each of these transfers for the 2021 season? Well, and it comes on the heels of bringing in a former five star in JT Daniels too. I mean, you know, you want to talk about a guy that has, is has the potential to turn around, you know, kind of the narrative for a program. Georgia has struggled at the quarterback position, uh, you know. Hasn't really had a elite quarterback since Matthew Stafford. Uh, you know, I think you can make a case for Aaron Murray, but you know he was more of a game manager, and you can make a case for Jake Fromm, but again, more of a game manager, and, and he showed some of his flaws throughout his career. Uh, Daniels is another guy that that Georgia has hit on from the transfer portal, but you know, I think looking at this year's guys, uh, Tyke Smith is a huge one. Eric Gilbert and Darian uh, Kendrick as well. Uh, Turnage actually, so he he is no longer on the roster at Georgia. Um, has I, I believe that he's entered the transfer portal again. There's there's not a ton of clarity there. Uh, obviously, we haven't had a chance to speak with Kirby Smart about it. Um, so there, there's some mixed r- rumors about uh, where Turnage is at. But you know, in terms of just those other three guys. It, it, it was major positions that Georgia needed to hit on. You know, you lose, uh, you know, five players in the secondary, three cornerbacks, uh, really four cornerbacks. Uh, you know, you lose five to the NFL draft in Tyson Campbell, Eric Stokes, DJ Daniel, Richard LeCount, Mark Webb. Those five are were all drafted. Actually, Daniel was an undrafted free agent. Uh, but, you know, those five are moving on to play professionally. You lose – Tyreek Stevenson to transfer who ends up going to Miami, you know, he was a guy that, that once you looked at, you know, you, you were looking at Georgia's future of the cornerback position uh, in that Peach Bowl win over Cincinnati. They had, they had Stevenson who had normally played at star uh, and, and was, you know, that kind of hybrid uh, safety corner linebacker type position. They moved him out to an outside cornerback position. And I think a lot of Georgia fans were really looking forward to seeing him develop in, into that role, uh, you know, you lose those guys, you know, especially at that outside cornerback position. Georgia feels really good about what they've got at, at safety with Lewis Seen and Chris Smith returning, but you lose those guys at star and at the outside cornerback position. You really needed to hit on that. Uh, and, and entering spring practice, I would say that was the Georgia's biggest concern. Uh, you know, you, you had Keely Ringo, Amir Speed, and um, 
and Jalen Kimber, you know, kind of battling it out for those two positions. Well, now you bring in Kendrick, who is, should be a starter from day one. He's got the big game experience, uh, former five-star. Obviously, he was a wide receiver, but made the transition to corner. But, you know, he, he could have been a early round draft pick had he decided to go pro, uh, ends up coming back, made the decision to come back to Clemson, and then ends up getting dismissed from their program. Georgia, you know, that, that is a decision. The decision to take him in is, has won, is one that, you know, has gone high up the ranks, and, and Georgia uh, has, has, you know, cleared all the hurdles to get him in. Uh, if he's eligible to play in the fall um, academically and, and everything, um, you know, he will be a starter from day one, and which will be a great matchup to see uh, him battling against his former teammates in week one against Clemson. Uh, and, and then Tyke Smith as well in the secondary He's probably going to play that star position, but he gives you some, you know, having him play star gives you some flexibility with the other positions where, you know, a guy like Latavius Brinney, who started at star uh, in that Peach Bowl, you can train him, cross train him at, you know, star and safety to give you a little bit of help at safety because they lose major burns uh, to the transfer portal there. Um, you know, you, you, you need, you need to have the ability to play guys at multiple positions. And Tyke Smith, you know, an All-American, shores up that uh, that star position and and opens up the ability for Georgia to cross-train. Flipping over to the offensive side of the ball where, you know, I, I mentioned that cornerback was probably Georgia's biggest concern coming into spring practice. I would say wide receiver was probably Georgia's biggest concern coming out of spring practice after you lose uh, George Pickens to injury. You know, you had other guys get banged up. Uh, you've got several guys that are coming back from injury, Dominic Blaylock and, and Marcus Rosemey, Jack Saint. They're both coming off of injuries that held them out of the end of last season. Uh, Blaylock missed the whole season with the torn ACL. He'll be coming back. Uh, Jack Saint, Rosemey, Jack Saint uh, is, is coming off of an ugly, ugly ankle injury. Uh, hurt his lower leg ankle uh, on that touchdown throw that I talked about earlier. His first career touchdown reception uh, ends up being the end of his freshman season. Um, you know, but you've got those guys coming off of injury. You've got you'll be, likely be missing George Pickens. Uh, you know, it was interesting to see him. He was a Walter Camp All American preseason All American, uh, and that raised an eyebrow over here because I, you know, I'm sitting here thinking, well, he's probably going to be out for the whole season, but you know, Georgia fans have seen other programs, uh, you know, bring back you know, players in, in that time period, six months, you look at, uh, you know, Auburn has done it uh, with um, a couple guys and, and Clemson did it a couple years ago. Um, <clears throat> you know, Georgia's hoping that they can get him back. I would not count on it because I just think he's, he's a guy that's got elite level talent for, to play at the next level and, and you know, might not want to risk an, a, you know, further, damage to that, that kind of injury um, that could, you know, hold him back at the professional level. So I don't think you will see him. Uh, so, you know, looking at that wide receiver room, you know, you, you've got a lot of guys that have have played, but not a ton of guys that have the same level of talent that George Pickens has. Well, enter Eric Gilbert and, and you know, you who played tight end at LSU was recruited as a tight end, but, you know, with the evolution of the game of football and, and the way that the tight end position has moved out to the outside, rather being rather than being a hand or of a you know on the edge guy, well, he's going to end up playing wide receiver for Georgia and has a 
you know, really good chance to take over that role that George Pickens played in a big body receiver that can go up and get some of those 50, 50 balls. Uh, you know, going back to JT Daniels, he's a guy that was, you know, very comfortable throwing it up to Pickens. And, and I think, you know, losing him is, is a little bit of a concern, but you know, when, when you can replace him with Eric Gilbert, uh, you know, some of those concerns could be um, solved pretty quickly. Absolutely. I mean, the matchup nightmare that's going to be the Georgia offense with the run game, with JT Daniels' arms, with Darnell Washington and Eric Gilbert is just – it's going to be so – It's going, that, that week one matchup is going to be insane. But I want to get to the main recruiting class. The 2021 cycle wrapped up back in February. The Bulldogs always top four class in the country, four five-star commitments – what were the biggest positional needs for Smart and this staff d- during this recruiting cycle, and who are the biggest instant impact guys that you see coming out of this class? Yeah, I, I mean, I think you look at Georgia's recruiting class, um, and I'm pulling it up here just that I'm 100%. Um, you know, I think you look at the two guys that are the biggest signees in, in Marius Mims and Brock Vandegrift. I don't know that either one of them is going to play uh, day one. Mims has a much that's than Vandegrift um, you know, because Georgia's going to be, uh, you know, looking around at the left tackle position. You could end up seeing Mims play there. Uh, he was the number three offensive tackle in the country, number seven player overall. Um, you know, I think there's a chance, but I think you're more than likely you have a true freshman at left tackle against Mims in the def- defensive line. Um, I think some of the players that have the biggest chance to make an impact would be uh, Xavier Story and Smile Munden, uh, two linebackers. Georgia has, has shown the ability to play some of those guys early on. They did so with N'Kobe Dean, who had a role. Uh, and, and there's going to be spots to be in, in that linebacker room. Uh, you lose Monty Rice in the NFL. You lose uh, lose Adam Anderson. You've you got Adam Anderson back, but you lose Jermaine Johnson inside position uh, because there's there's some opportunities there. I think another guy that you're going to see, um, you know, and, and actually going back to, you know, questions at corner, uh, Nylon Green is a guy that, that made some noise early on. I um, don't know how much of an opportunity he's going to have anymore now that you add Kendrick. Um, but Georgia has shown, you know, a, a tendency to rotate their corners, and, and Nylon Green would certainly be among those that are in the rotation. Um, he, he would be a top five corner for this team. Um, maybe top four and you know so there's a chance that you could see him play um, offensively though I think you know a guy that really you know maybe was not on everyone's radar coming out of the recruiting cycle but coming out of spring practice certainly was was A.D. Mitchell Adonai Mitchell um, <clears throat> you know he's a guy that that is a big body receiver kind of played that same role that Pickens did after the Pickens's injury uh, and, and he showed out in the spring scrimmage. If, if they named an MVP there, um, you probably would have given it to him. He had a big day. And, um, you know, I think that he's got a chance. You know, obviously the addition of Gilbert makes, you know, that less of a need. Uh, but, you know, there is a good chance that Mitchell could be a, a factor in the wide receiver room. He showed that he's got some connection with JT Daniels. And uh, you know, I, I think there's a good chance that you could see him playing. 
Right. And I mean, with Georgia, it's uh, as deep as that team is, it's so hard to see the field as a true freshman. But being this deep, um, there's always new names for Georgia, Alabama, all these big programs that we see every year. Who who do you have your eye on right now on the roster to have their breakout season for 2021? Yeah, I would go Adam Anderson. Uh, you know, you look at Georgia's outside linebacker success that they've had at the outside linebacker position, um, and, and he kind of goes hand-in-hand hand with Nolan Smith. Those two guys um, both could have a big breakout season, um, you know, just taking over the role that Aziz Ojolari and Jermaine Johnson played. Um, you know, th- they have the ability to get after the quarterback, and both of them have done it early on in their careers. Anderson going into his fourth year with the program and uh, Smith his third but, you know, I think because of the depth that Georgia has had in that room, those guys haven't had the same opportunities that, that some of those top-tier guys uh, have had. And I think, you know, Anderson is a guy who's been used in very unique roles. Uh, you know, he's a little bit light for an outside linebacker, a true defensive edge rusher type guy. But so Georgia has used him in third-down situations more as an inside linebacker to get after the quarterback. Um you know, when, when you want to take out an outside linebacker for, you know, for a, a more traditional secondary player um, to cover some of the extra wide receivers on the field. I think Anderson has a chance to play that traditional outside linebacker role this year. And he's, like I said, he's shown a tendency to be able to get after the quarterback. Uh, and, you know, I think that there's a good chance that he could have a big breakout season. He's been kind of highlighted as one of the players across the country that could do so. Um, on the offensive side of the ball, it's always hard to circle one running back. Uh, I think, you know, the guy with the biggest chance on off would be Kendall Milton uh, because, you know, he's going into his second year with the program. Uh, you know, Georgia still has a ton of depth at that running back position, but Georgia has used that third, you know, shown that they will use two, three, four running backs, you know, with, you know, having these guys and keeping them fresh and, and, and you know, having their legs ready to go late in the season, uh, it is paid off for Georgia. You know, looking back at that uh, SEC championship run and, and the runs of the national championship, you know, Sony Michelle and, and Nick Chubb were the two headliners, but DeAndre Swift was making an impact too. Brian Harrion and, and Elijah Holyfield were making impact. So, you know, even the year after that, you know, you had Swift as kind of the headliner, but and Holyfield was there, but Harrion was there as well. And same with, you know, James Cook and, and Zamir White. Everyone has kind of – you look at back at Georgia's running back room, everyone has kind of played their part and, and, and done their uh, time as, as the second, third option before taking over that lead role. Well, now you're going to see Zamir White and James Cook in that lead role like they were last year. But I think you're also going to see guys like Kenny McIntosh and Kendall Milton. Milton is kind of the guy that I, I circled that has more of the ability to be a traditional running back and a – and the catcher. Um, so I, I, I really like him. He's, he's a guy that I, I fit, think fits, uh, you know, what you want in a running back. He's, he's got every skill set that you could need um, and, and could be Georgia's best running back all around. Uh, I think he's got a good chance to break out as, as the running back, third option at running back position. Right. So, I mean, we've covered all the transfers. We covered the recruiting trail. We've covered breakout players. Looking ahead to the schedule, though, the Bulldogs are going to have tough points, but I think a majority of the schedule is winnable games that the Bulldogs should be 
pretty heavy favorites in. I mean, opening weekend, that Clemson game in Charlotte is going to be the biggest game of the year. The always tough game against Florida. Then, yeah, I mean, you see the jerseys in the background. I hope the road trip to Jordan Hare is tough, but odds are that's going to be a that's going to be a blowout. Um, but you never know in Jordan Hare. But for you right now, I know we're recording in June. What is the ceiling and or floor for this 2021 Georgia Bulldogs team? Man, the ceiling would be a national championship. I mean, I think that is that is safe to say. Uh, Georgia has you know is going to be one of the most talented teams in the country. Uh, if you look at the two four seven sports blue chip ratio, uh, you know that it, it is kind of your line that you have to meet criteria that you have to meet to you know be a national championship caliber team, and you've got to have you know over fifty percent. Uh, four and five stars. Well, Georgia has the second most four and five stars right behind Alabama. So I think the ceiling is, is, you know, absolutely a national championship. Um, a lot of the ceiling and the floor is going to be determined after that week one matchup with Clemson, because I think, you know, the expectations for this team are, are going to change based on that. Uh, you win that game. And I think Georgia fans are immediately saying 12 and 0, you got to go 12 and 0 in this regular season, because if you can beat Clemson, you can beat everyone on that schedule. Uh, if you lose to Clemson, you know the expectation is is then that you've got to finish eleven and one and run the table to make it to the SEC championship game, have that shot at likely Alabama out of the West. Um, and so, you know, I think that I, I wouldn't say that the floor is making the SEC championship game because that is a really high floor. Uh, but I, I would say that you know, I, I, looking at the schedule, like you said, I don't see that many games that Georgia is not a touchdown plus favorite uh, outside of that Clemson game. I, I would say, like you said, Florida game is always going to be an interesting one. Auburn has the tendency to get interesting, especially when it's on the road. Tennessee can be interesting on the road. Um, but, you know, with, with the way that the East is down, uh, you know, some programs rebuilding, first your head coaches at South Carolina, Vanderbilt, Tennessee, um, you know, Florida replacing so many weapons offensively. Kentucky could be a threat, but you get them at home. Missouri could be a threat, but you get them at home. You know, both those teams return um, plenty of talent from last year. And with Missouri, you return a quarterback, which is always a key. Um, you know, with, with the way that the East is down and, and Georgia getting a favorable draw out of the West, it, taking Arkansas as their rotational opponent rather than getting Alabama like they have, Alabama – Texas A&M and LSU, they've had those three in the last three seasons. You know, I, I think that, that you've got to feel confident uh, with where Georgia is at and how the schedule lines up for them. Um, like I said, the ceiling would definitely be a national championship caliber team. Um, you know, I, I, I would say Georgia is going to be my prediction out of the East. Um, that, that's for sure. So I wouldn't necessarily – I don't want to say that the floor is the ICC championship game uh, because that is a really high floor, but, it, you know, it's it's looking that way. Right. So this is kind of just a follow-up before I get to my last question. We've heard of these media figures, RJ Young, Josh Pate, really talk about how all the pressure is on Kirby Smart this year. If you can't win with this roster, how are you ever going to get over that hump? Is that the tone around Athens right now? Is that if 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 Kirby Smart can't do it this year, then when is he ever going to get that national championship, get past Alabama and the SEC? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that is kind of the sense around Athens that that you know this is 
the most talented team that he's had, the most favorable draw that he's had. You know, if if this, the stars are aligning for this year where, hey, if you can't get it done this year, I don't know when you can. I, I don't think he would I, – I don't think you would put him on the hot seat because of the success that he's had, uh, you know, early on in his, his head coaching career uh, and especially on the recruiting trail. Um, but, you know, we are now – what, five, six years into him being the head coach. Uh, and so, you know, he's no longer working with recruits that aren't his. He's, you know, with the success that he's had on the recruiting trail, he's got top four classes across the board. Uh, his roster is filled with four and five stars. Go back to that blue chip ratio. You know, I think they were 80% four and five stars. Um, you know, so most talented team uh, that he's had, most favorable schedule that he's had. I think that, you know, the, the and, I, and I would also say that there's probably some pressure that he's putting on this team that, again, hey, we've got a favorable schedule. You know, you, you don't want to say, hey, this is a winnable game, this is a losable game, you know, but but as a head coach, you know those things, and these players do too. Um, they, I think that they probably feel the pressure. I think that they understand, hey, you know, we, we've got a lot that's going for us this year. Um, that's going right for us this year. And, and, you know, you've got to be able to capitalize on that when you do have those opportunities. Right. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. Right now, I mean, if I had to pick, I've said it on our show, right now Georgia, in my my opinion, should be preseason number one if we're basing it strictly off of this year. I think this is the best year for Georgia to make a run. But my last question here, I love asking this question because – we're doing this. We're doing these themes so everyone in the country can get exposure to all these schools. I've luckily been to Athens numerous times. It's probably my second most gone to stadium, right behind Jordan Hare. And I've been at the highs of highs when I was there when Tennessee hit the hell mary. But I was also there when they upset Auburn as a top ten team. So I've seen it go both ways. For those who haven't been though, what makes Athens Sanford Stadium one of the best environments in college football? Yeah, that's an interesting question and not one that you get too often on these podcasts. Um, you know, I, I think it's just it's the combination of the city of Athens and, and the success that they've had with this football program in recent years. Um, there's, there's a great culture here in Athens, uh, a lot of buy in, you know, to, and a lot of passion um, you know, for the program. I think it's something that makes those is those game days special. Um, you know, and, and I think everyone, you know, from fans to players to media uh, included, is, is looking forward to getting back to some sense of normalcy and seeing, you know, 93,000 fill out Sanford Stadium rather than the COVID, you know, limited capacity crowds that we've had. Um, you know, it, it was a, I, I think back, you know, the, the game that sticks out the most to me, and, and it's, it's the header image that you've got behind us, it would be that Notre Dame game. And, and it was an unbelievable atmosphere there that night. Um, you know, the combination of, you know, a, a traditional program coming into town, uh, squaring off with a program that has its fair share of history. And, and, you know, obviously the recent history hasn't gone Georgia's way as much as Georgia fans would like. Uh, you know, that 1980 year sticks out and, and you know, is, is going to be a weight on the program until they can get it done. But I think, you know, with the success that Kirby Smart has had, there's a lot of energy around this program, uh, you know, maybe a sense of rejuvenated energy to um, to an extent. You know, I think it was waning in, in the years of Mark Rick, uh, in, in the final years of Mark Rick. I think you know you would you've got it to a point where there is so much excitement around the program. Um, 
you know, again, Athens is, is an incredible college town. It, it really adds up uh, for, you know, a perfect combination for, you know, Saturday night at Sanford Stadium. It, it is it is an unbelievable atmosphere. It, it definitely is. And I tell people all the time, even as an Auburn fan, the loudest I ever heard that stadium was right before the Hail Mary when uh, Easton hit that pass to put him up with like, I think it was like eight seconds left. And I was like, it was deafening. That I've been to Death Valley, Georgia. I've been to both Death Valleys. Georgia's the loudest stadium I've ever been to. So guys, get down to Athens to get to a game. But Palmer, man, I appreciate you joining me. This is your time, though. Shout out to where can they find you on social media? Where can they find the website or anything else you want to plug to the listeners? Yeah, it's been a busy month over at Dogs247. Keeping up with recruiting coverage coming out of a 15-month-long dead period. So we've been busy over there. So you can find plenty of recruiting coverage as well as, you know, excitement and and hype for the preseason. Um, You know, we'll be getting into some of that in the month of July. Um, as SEC media days and, and preseason practice rolls around before too long. Uh, so you can find all of our work over at Dogs247, uh, and you can find me on Twitter at Palmer Toms. Absolutely, guys. Go check them out. You actually can catch us both also on the Crowded Booth. You can go check out their YouTube channel too. Great podcast uh, with Bryce Coons and them over there. But, guys – as y'all know, we're coming back at y'all with another SEC and 30 days later this week. We're moving on to Alabama. So we had the two biggest SEC programs in one week. Shout out to Palmer for coming on the show. We'll definitely be reaching out and having him on more often as he gets closer to the season. But guys, for Palmer, myself, and the Blue Bloods, we are out.